This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to The Way Forward. I'm Jack Otter, and today we have a special guest to discuss a topic that's on a lot of minds, especially as the Biden administration rolls out a massive infrastructure plan. I'm going to speak with the Chief Investment Officer at Region Atlantic, Chris Cordero, who is bracing his client portfolios for the possibility of inflation, a word we haven't heard for decades. Uh, Chris, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks for having me. You obviously are are, are very much an investor. Uh, you have been for decades, and, and I think you take a more active role, actually, in um, your firm's investment choices than, than a lot of uh, chiefs do. But you said it's also something that's coming up with clients, however, not all clients. Can you explain who's worried about inflation and who's not? Yeah, Jack, that's the interesting thing. Clients that are uh, over age 60 are concerned about inflation. Clients below age 60 really have no idea of what inflation is. And let me start with the below age 60 and give them a pass on why they're feeling that way. It's because for the last 10 or 20 years, we've we've experienced extremely mild inflation. And on a lot of things, we have, uh, especially technology goods, things have gotten better, faster, and cheaper at the same time. So the notion of things that you want to buy costing you more money is really foreign to younger investors. But for folks who are over age 60, they're old enough to remember and, and have been economically sort of alive during the 70s and early 80s when we had rampant inflation and you had this real difficulty of people running out of money who were living on a fixed income that was a huge scare and so you know they're they're old enough to remember the 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 scary monster stories of inflation whereas younger investors really don't quite get how bad it can be that's really interesting. Uh, I, I, I don't know if that counts as recency bias or, or what, but um, <laughs> yeah, long-term recency bias. Yeah, um, but it really. I, I'm old enough to remember as a kid, my parents rolling over CDs. They were very excited about the rates that they were getting. I guess they were in the teens, uh, which is kind of hard to imagine. So that's what your clients are worried about. It has to do with their own life experiences. Um, you try to look uh, at the future, uh, in, with a neutral um, investment manager's attitude, what do you see out there from a macro perspective? Well, here, here's what I think is it. So the the you're just going back to the 70s and 80s for a, a quick stop. There is it largely that was driven by stagflation and rising wages, and that was the big problem there. Is that it was a a spiraling upward of inflation, and I don't think we're going to see that now. But Just to quickly, I think most of our listeners understand, but stagflation is where you've got low growth, but prices going up. Is that right? Exactly. And that's, and that's sort of a double whammy. And that's, yeah. that's, what, that's what was going on in the 70s that made it so particularly painful. And it was a persistent problem. Um, and so the, what we have to look at now with, on the macro sense is we have a huge amount of stimulus being pumped into the economy. At the same time, we have a lot of pent-up demand because we've all been shut away for the past year. So that has the capacity of really spiking inflation. So I think it's a very high probability 
that we'll definitely see a spike in inflation over the next couple of years. So things will start costing us more and we'll notice it. The real question is, does that spike end up spiraling upward into wage inflation? And if we get wage inflation, then that becomes a more difficult problem because it spirals. Wages go up and then therefore people have more money to spend on goods and services. The price of those goods and services go up and you start spiraling out of control. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's the risk. Yeah. So I've always heard that it is wage inflation that really can move the needle. What are the forces that push that higher? Is that is that simply like everything else, supply and demand? If the supply of workers is not high enough, uh, then businesses start to have to pay more? Exactly. It's it's supply and demand. And the reason why I don't think it will become a problem is because the labor force has become globalized. And so if labor is more expensive in the US, well, we can find it cheaper in other countries and we can and and we can um, uh, have the labor done elsewhere. Certainly, even 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 to even in the professional jobs, you know, the look at look at how Zoom has changed our world. So the ability to get a professional elsewhere in the world to do things for less when they don't have to be physically present, I think we'll keep a lid on the wage inflation issue. Yeah, so that's a really important point. Um, all the forces that were tamping down inflation for many years are really still there at the, at the macro level. You know, it's funny, Larry Summers, who recently raised an alarm about the stimulus causing inflation, you go just a few months earlier, and, and Summers wrote a great primer on why he doesn't expect to see inflation. <laughs> and right. one, one of those reasons was the one you just explained. There's also demographics. An aging society, um, the presumption is that as people age, they spend a little less. They're, they're not buying new houses and sending their kids to college and, and everything else. Um, and also, they're a little bit less productive. And importantly, growth is slowing. I mean, I, I'm not sure what the population growth is in the U.S., but I think it's less than 2% now. Uh, and if you took out immigration, it would be very close to zero. So all of those, plus the, the, the globe, you know, the ability to not only find labor overseas, but also to buy that, that cheap computer um, from Taiwan, uh, those are all dampening inflation. Yes. Yeah. And, and interest, interestingly, the pandemic did not give us the population boost we thought it might have. It actually went, <laughs> you know, it actually went in the other direction. Well, if you had one kid in your house, you're like, I do not want another until we can get outside <laughs> and I can send them to school again. <laughs> exactly. There was no way to get a second if you only had right. one. <laughs> so does that mean that you would see the possibility of a relatively short-term spike as a result of the forces you outlined, but then going back on tr- on the on the longer term trend that we have seen and and to me it seems like the market is kind of supporting that thesis i believe that 10 year tips are not reflecting much inflation whereas 5 year tips are showing yeah maybe there'll be a little inflation well um they're i mean they're actually both projecting about 2.5% of implied inflation okay um it, which not which which isn't terrible and and to go and but just to go back to so what should you be preparing clients for what I believe is that we're, we're most likely to see a spike in inflation. I think that's priced in there, and that's a pretty high probability. But there is the risk of a spiraling inflation if, it's, if, um, if we get this wrong. And so for clients, what I think we need to do, and, and, and our clients at Regent Atlantic are almost all individuals. We do, ha- we do have some foundations, but the vast majority of people we're investing money for is individuals. And individuals largest financial goal 
is to be able to sustain their lifestyle throughout their retirement. And so if we think about portfolios in that perspective, I really need to be mindful of the fact that uh, at the underlying ability to achieve that goal is not outperforming some benchmark index. The underlying ability to achieve that goal is to generate a cash flow stream that can um, be inflation adjusted upward. And so with that in mind, it's a, you really want to look at, at the possibility of spiraling inflation and have some things in your portfolio that are going to help you out in the eventuality that that does occur. So purchasing power is really the key there. You know, as you, as you talked about your clients, I realized that I was so excited to jump right into the inflation topic. We never gave listeners a view of your business. So real quick, can you just, you know, what's your AUM? How many clients do you have? Sure. So Regent Atlantic's AUM is a little over $5 billion. Um, that, that is for about 1,200 or so client families. Um, and so the, uh, you know, and our, and our, our clients are, uh, um, are, are reasonably well off, but their primary concern and their financial goal is providing for their retirement. How many people work in your shop, roughly? Uh, roughly 70. That's a pretty big uh, RIA. Let's talk about the portfolio, kind of the allocation and structure, and then we'll take a deep dive in, into you know particular assets that, that you're, you find attractive if you're worried about inflation. Um, so how are you thinking about structuring those retirement portfolios to make sure you maintain purchasing power? So what, what I think you need to do is you, is you, you need to use the same type of uh, you know, asset allocation and mean variance optimization that, that that all portfolios are built on. But when I think when there's a when there's a tie for something, um, the tie's got to go to the asset class that's going to give you some inflation protection. And so, you know, the uh, you know when they say in baseball tie goes to the runner, the the tie the tie in portfolio management would be the asset class that would give you a little bit more inflation protection. So a really good example of that are tips. So I believe that if you're managing a client's portfolio for inflation and you're going to own treasuries, I think tips should be a really important component of that fixed income allocation. And the reason is because when it's a tie and we get inflation expectations that the market assumes are already priced in, you get about the same return as treasuries. But when inflation is comes in over expectations or just the expectation that inflation is going to be higher than it was assumed, you're going to, you're going to have a natural hedge against that in the portfolio. And so I think you need to be mindful of that as you're managing portfolios for individuals. So say to say, talk about 10-year tips for now, just because that's the, ben, the, the 10-year treasury is the benchmark that everyone is using. What kind of a return are you seeing in it? There's, there's, there's the adjustment plus the actual yield. You can explain that a little bit? And, and, and let's use that to sort of build up how do you get to the inflation assumption in, in, uh, in tips. And, and, uh, and, and Jack, allow me to use round numbers so that we don't have to do some heavy duty math here, right? <laughs> Please. <laughs> so, okay. So, so let's say that the, the 10-year treasury is yielding about 1.75. Right. Um, and at the same time, the 10-year tip has a negative current yield of 75 basis points. So when you add the two of them together, you get an inflation expectation of 2.5%. In other words, the 10-year the tip it has a negative three-quarters of a percent yield on it. Because the coupon payment every six months is indexed upward by the by the change in in CPI, uh, 
and the final maturity value is indexed upward by the change in CPI. If as long as inflation comes in at two and a half percent, you'd get the same um, 1.75% you would have got if you held a 10-year treasury to maturity. And so that's how you develop that sort of implied inflation rate in tips. So uh, let's say I'm a client of yours who does not know who Fonzie is. And I'm looking <laughs> at my portfolio and I'm saying, Chris, you're explain this to me. You are giving me something with a negative yield. Now, you just did the math for me, sure. Uh, 1.75 minus 2.5. Um, but do you find yourself having to explain more deeply why something that these people have never experienced is something you, their advisor, their fiduciary is going to try to protect them against? Um, not too often because okay. the, the tip, I mean, the tipper, the, if we buy a 10 year tip, it's, it's priced at a premium. And so, um, you know, most, most clients, the bond, bond math gets, uh, gets beyond them. Okay. And so you, they never they never actually experience uh, you know this negative actual yield that you're getting because you're losing the premium. But um, th so thankfully that's not too much of an issue. Let me ask you one other question about tips, which is um, with many investments, the ideal scenario is to be the buyer of the in, of the security before the rest of the world realizes that this is something of value, right? Um, you, you know, you want to buy what's right. hated and, and then it becomes loved. With tips, it's a little bit different, right? You could wait until you can see the whites of inflation's eyes to get in. Am I right about that? Uh, no. Okay, good. <laughs> so, that, so tips you know, I, I seriously, I just want you to know, I have been asking this question since um, the early 2000s when I was an editor at Smart Money Magazine, which does not exist anymore. And I've always got a waffle, and you are now going to give me a definitive answer, and I am very excited about this. And there's because, and the reason is because tips, the price of tips don't move on the current inflation. The price of tips move on expected inflation, and so if you're if you're not going to buy it until expected inflation is already a, a threat, well, then you've already missed the price movement, and you're missing and you're missing the hedge. Gotcha. Uh, so that is helpful. So now the question is, oh, uh, do you buy individual tips? Do you buy, you're, presumably you're not going to buy funds in that case. Um, you, can, you can buy funds, but right now I favor, individ, I favor individual tips because they're, 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 they're extremely easy to buy. They're cheap. There's no, there's, um, but funds work just as, just as well. One point on tips before we, before we um, move off of it is that I would favor the five-year tip over the ten-year tip, and the reason for that is that you know the both have about the same inflation expectation built into them. But with the ten-year tip, you're also you're also taking on some duration risk, and if your most likely outcome here is that we're going to get a spike in inflation, um, I'd rather have the five-year tip with less duration, um, and so not have that interest rate sensitivity in my portfolio. So, you know, as just we're talking about stuff, I'd favor the five-year over the 10-year. Is there a macro condition that could change that would adjust your, your thought there? Is there something that would make you think, ah, geez, we might be in this for a longer haul? I mean, wage inflation, for instance? The macro thing I'd need to look at is, is I'd have to feel more confident that longer rates aren't going to continue rising. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so there are lots of, uh, asset classes that are considered to be hedges against inflation. Uh, certainly, we've got to talk about gold. But 
before we do that, I want to take a quick break. And on the other side, we will talk about your thoughts on gold. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Welcome back to The Way Forward. I'm talking to Chris Cordero, Chief Investment Officer at Regent Atlantic, about inflation. And uh, Chris, uh, we got to talk about gold. Uh, as you know, there are very few people who are wishy-washy on that topic. Uh, either it's a brick that uh, doesn't grow and gives you no yield, or it is the only thing protecting us against the evils of fiat money. Uh, where do you come from? <laughs> well, if we're going to Fonzie, I think I'm thick as a brick, if we can go back to Jekyll <laughs> nice. analogies. So the, you know, I, I look, uh, and, and, it's, and gold is, is really interesting. It, it, is, it is one of those polarizing questions, like, do you like it or not? And right. for me, gold is a terrific long-term store of value, and it does... Um, keep pace with your purchasing power. I mean, we have over 2,000 years of pricing history with gold that we can look back on and realize that you know what a Roman centurion was paid in gold um, roughly equates to what a, a U.S. Army captain is paid for in dollars today. So wow. gold has, has basically been a really good way to um, keep pace with inflation with lots of exciting exciting rides up and down. And this it's those exciting rides that really generally don't correspond with inflation that I don't need. Um, so I don't need to introduce more volatility into my portfolio um, through the use of gold when it's really not a great um, short-term hedge against inflation. You know, in other words, on the long-term basis, gold's gonna keep its purchasing power. So it does help you there. But in the short term, the 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 correlation of gold to inflation changes is um, is just not strong enough to have any type of benefit. So it sounds like you do not put it in people's portfolios, or you I, do? I do I do not put it in people's portfolios. Okay. All right, yeah, because because the uh, the other tough question is if you do, how much is is enough to be meaningful, but not too much to weigh it down. And, and that's a tough call. But luckily, you don't have to make that. So um, let's talk about asset classes, in addition to tips, which you, which you like, uh, that are part of an inflation portfolio. Um, moving beyond gold to other commodities, certainly we see commodities move in anticipation of inflation. But again, maybe that doesn't correlate well enough for you. Uh, yes. Yeah, so the other, the other, other, com other commodities and more industrial commodities and energy, uh, those those do help, um, and those and those would be interesting to put in a portfolio. The some of the difficulty now is that a lot of your commodity return when you're buying commodity contracts comes in the form of collateral, and when collateral yields are about zero, it, it makes the overall return from the commodities. Um, uh, you know, it gives it a bit, little bit of a higher hurdle to put in your portfolio. Um, but so we're, we're looking at putting some commodity investments in our portfolios, um, and, and doing that in a way without, without precious metal exposure. 
And and so would you do that? Because because as you reference the contracts, it is tough to buy commodities. Are you going to do it through funds? Or are you going to? Yeah, we would we would we would do it through funds. I know that with investors looking at commodity funds, one of the many things they have to consider is are there futures, and also what's the energy weighting? If you even even if you're in an indexer. If you look at different indexes, the energy weighting is vastly different. Uh, how do you sort through some of that stuff? That's one of the biggest components and what you want to be um, very specific about. What exposure do you want to, to energy? Um, and I think, I think that the energy is also tends to be a very big component of, the, of inflation. So looking for a hedge, you don't want it to dominate the investment, but you'd want to have a a it'd be somewhere around 25 percent or so uh, one specific energy investment that <laughs> at times has been like, like all investments at times has been wonderful and usually unloved times um are mlps master limited partnerships um a little tricky come tax time um but but nice yields uh what's your thought on on that area and and, and as we move a little bit more toward possibly a a lower carbon future um, does all energy and especially the pipelines uh, possibly suffer? My view on MLPs is it's 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 been the asset class that never behaves as you expect it to behave, <laughs> and so that that makes it that makes it really problematic. And I have been, you know, I have had MLPs in our portfolio in the past, and I've been disappointed with them because they should not be as highly correlated to the price of energy yet. Um, yet they tend to be. So you tend to get. Uh, you tend to get the downturn when uh, when oil uh, prices decline, um, and uh, and you're and on the upside, it's uh, it's not as it's not as rosy. So I'm not a uh, I've been I've been burned there, and uh, so I'm not a, a big fan of them. And I also believe very strongly that um, our energy use will change over time and has to change. Um, so I know we're talking about inflation right now, but I'm also a big ESG guy. And so it does pain me to uh, to put too much fossil fuels in our portfolios. <laughs> gotcha. That's interesting because that that raises the issue of utilities, which often can get hurt when bond yields rise because they're, they're sometimes seen as this kind of a the the equity version of a bond. Uh, but on the other hand, utilities will benefit as we move toward a less carbon intense future uh, because some of their input costs over over time will go down. Um, what's your thought about that area? Yes, and and especially um, energy producers um, who who have rel- relatively um, low carbon footprints um, and and who are uh, you know either either have more nuclear or sustainable energy. I believe those are those are great hedges, and um, you know I think our our demand for electricity is going to continue increasing. Uh, as you know, with with the whole movement away from fossil fuels. Yeah, that's a really interesting dynamic. Um, uh, if, if we're all plugging in our car and everything else, um, uh, and and obviously everyone knows that the device usage, I think, in every household yeah. is spiking. We're running out of outlets for all the devices the whole family needs. Um, let's let's move to another uh, potential hedge, which is real estate. Uh, throwing off income, and that income can increase alongside inflation. Uh, are, are you a fan of real estate? And if so, how do you get uh, exposure to it? So I think real estate has an important place in people's portfolios. And it's, we, you know, it, it, going back to my analogy, the tie should go to the runner, or the tie should go to the asset that's going to give you some inflation protection. Uh, real estate does that. Uh, both, both 
from the store of wealth because it's actually a physical um, asset. Um, and from the side that rent that rents can increase along with inflation and provide a higher uh, stream of cash flow. Uh, so right now, how we're implementing real estate is using, and this depends on the client. Where, um, but for most clients, we're using real estate investment trusts, and the ones that I like a lot are um, there are a number of non-traded real estate investment trusts run by high quality institutional real estate managers. And this is, I look at this as sort of the non-traded REIT 2.0. You know, we, there, there, there were a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of uh, um, bad actors in the uh, non-traded REIT 1.0 universe. Um, but now in the non-traded REIT 2.0 universe, you see a lot of um, high quality um, uh, uh, institutional real estate investors and the benefit to the non-traded REITs are you can get very specific on the asset types that you have in the portfolio um, and you get a much better tax benefit um, than just buying publicly traded REITs. Yeah, as soon as you said that, I, my, the red flag started waving. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that, that you know bad actors who gave your industry a really <laughs> bad name we're yeah. given selling that stuff to clients, um, but that that's interesting that that has changed so much. Yes, yeah, and and you have you know you have really you have really top quality real estate managers who've realized that it you know that the non traded REIT structure has uh, a number of benefits to it that you can't get in a publicly traded REIT. What what kind of yields are you looking at now? You know the ones that we're we're getting between five and six percent yield, and because. They're, they're in the money uh, raising phase and putting money to work um, in in properties right now, you're getting a lot of that depreciation on the newer properties flowing through. So you, you know a large part of that dividend yield is return of capital. So it's got a for a taxable investor to get a five and change yield that's mostly tax free or or tax deferred is a is a huge benefit. Wow, yeah, that is that is impressive. So once a year, there's an interesting, I think it's Gallup does an interesting poll where they ask the same question, which is they ask people, what's the best investment? And I, I can't tell you all the components, but I know gold, real estate, stocks, I think bonds are, are in there. And if you look at it over time, it's it's a great contrarian indicator, and and you know it's it's a great indicator of what where sentiment is at, at that moment, um, and. So people's answers to that question vary a lot. But then when you look at the actual numbers, of course, uh, stocks crush real estate, crush gold over the really long term. And I think the the bias mistake we make is you think, wow, my parents bought that home for $20,000, you know, and now it's worth 600000 But then you realize, oh, well, that was over half a century. So, so yeah. So uh, often people point to simple old equities, um, companies that are growing along with inflation as as a decent inflation hedge. So, what's your thought about that part of the portfolio? Absolutely, I mean that should your the just good good old stocks, good companies in your portfolio should be the the predominant portion of your equities in the portfolio. Uh, that that is w- without a doubt. Um, how you should be investing. And if you think about where we are right now in the markets, and if you're a retiree concerned about inflation, you, you, you might need to tilt even a little bit more towards equities than fixed income. Um, and, and that tilt in equities, it should, it should be in, in just plain old stocks. 
So tell us how you get exposure to stocks in your client portfolios because it's it's kind of an interesting mix. So in in the base of our of our portfolios is a um, portfolio of U.S. large cap stocks that we run internally, um, and it is highly tax managed. Uh, and so what we're really looking there is we're looking to capture the return of the S and P five hundred but do it in a much more tax efficient manner um, and have the ability to um, peel off some higher, highly appreciated issues and use that for our clients' charitable contributions and aggressively um, harvest tax losses um, so that we can just really customize the tax aspect of that portfolio. That forms the base. Around that base, we add in other um, uh, other directional bets that we might be making within the market. So right now, those those would include um, a small cap allocation. Uh, those include a, a value um, allocation, and so there we'll use uh, we'll use ETFs um, or funds to um, implement that and just tilt that base of the portfolio one way or another based on market conditions. And so the the stock portfolios those are SMAs. We we manage them internally, so it's, we we don't have a an SMA manager. Uh, gotcha. So it's just part of the over. It's uh, you know it's what we're doing is similar to what is available in other SMA accounts, but because we're doing it in house, we don't have an additional fee, and we have greater control over how we want to manage the taxes. Do you have a view on the sectors uh, that that make up those large cap segments right now? Um, you know, obviously we know what's happened to tech. Uh, we've seen value take it on the chin for years with what looks like it might be a bit of a comeback now. Um, well, what are your thoughts there? Certainly, there are the um, some sectors that we like better, especially right now during a, a rising rate environment. Is uh, financials have have been really beaten up. Um, and so in the, in a rising rate environment, uh, and at the prices that financials are selling at, we see, we see that as a, as a real opportunity. Um, and so, you know, the, and that would be part of, you know, as I mentioned, we were, we have a, the base of our portfolio is this, uh, is, is this, uh, S and P tax optimized portfolio. Um, but where we're looking to take directional bets is more on the value side and and a lot of that is right now in financials. And and one more question on this theme, and that that is dividends. On the one hand, dividend paying stocks can get hurt once bond yields start getting competitive with with those yields. On the other hand, of course, yields can go up uh, as can the um, the value of the equity. Uh, so so, what are your thoughts on dividend payers? Um, it's not something that we explicitly look at you know, the um, because you're yeah. Uh, just just looking at high dividend paying stocks, I think is uh, I, I think you have to look at the total return and just see are the earnings there to support the dividend. And so the dividend is really just a management decision on how much of their earnings are they going to pay out. Okay. Um, so we we tend not to focus on strictly that. Gotcha. Uh, and one more portfolio question: that is, with your clients who are actually in retirement, uh, how are you thinking about a retirement portfolio that? is presumably allowing them to maintain their lifestyle, but with an inflation issue, as opposed to your 35-year-old client who's got a super long runway. So we we don't change the portfolio allocation based on um, on age or, or whether they're in a stage of, re, of retirement or not, because even the, even the 30-year-old needs some inflation protection in their portfolio. 
so the but what I do think is an interesting question is that how how do you produce that cash flow stream? Right. When someone starts needing their um, their portfolio to live on, and the from a portfolio perspective and from a planning perspective, I think the best way to do it is just arrive at what's the monthly amount that that portfolio needs to generate, and and um, you know let's say it's ten thousand a month. We do the math easy. Some amounts of that's going to come from interest and dividends, but it's typically never going to be enough to satisfy the full amount. And so there, every month you have an opportunity to rebalance the portfolio and trim a little bit of whichever asset class has done the best over the last month. And in my experience, that's a really sound way of managing a portfolio and producing a stream of cash flow because invariably you're you're taking the chips off the table of those that have done the best um, and you're selling high, which is uh, something that eludes lots of investors. Uh, did you? Does it? Is it painful though? As some of these, particularly the tech sector, have shot up so much for so long. Um, you know, obviously recently we've had some hiccups, but for, for was it painful during that big run to to be trimming back on those? Um, not for me personally, because I, I tend <laughs> to be I tend to be a contrarian value type guy, and uh, and so for me, I like I couldn't trim them fast enough. Uh, but at the same time, realizing that. You, you needed them in your portfolio and you still need them in your portfolio, even though, you know, from a value perspective, I might feel like they're getting stretched. Um, it's still, you know, how the how the world continues on from here. I, nobody has a crystal ball. So I need them in my portfolio, but I do enjoy taking the profits from them. Uh, well, that's a nice way to sleep well at night. Uh, so we are at time here, Chris. So I just want to, in the Baron's tradition, uh, ask you if you have a final actionable idea for our listeners. Uh, my final actionable idea would be go through your asset allocation and determine where would the tie go to the infl- to the asset class that's going to give you the best inflation protection, and maybe rethink that. So um, you know, on the bond side, I'd give an edge towards tips. On the real estate side, I'd give an edge towards some real estate. I'm 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 not going to make that my last question because as you were speaking, it occurred to me, what if you're wrong? Well, essentially, you've been talking about insurance against inflation. How expensive is that insurance? If if it looks like a tie now, is is that tips you know exposure very expensive? Should rates go back down to one? So if it, if if rates go back down to one. I've probably lost the differential between the assumed inflation rate that's in there now of two and a half percent and one. So I've lost one and a half percent. So that, yeah, that that would be uh, somewhat painful. Um, but if if inflation spikes to four or five, um, that's going to really benefit. So there 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 is a, there is a cost to it. But the risk reward is still favorable. Yeah, on the real estate side, I think less less of a risk. Because if inflation's low, then you know, you're just not getting the inflation bump that you would normally get in any equity appreciation. Uh, but your purchasing power remains. Right. Chris Cordero, thank you so much for your time. This has been really helpful. Thank you. It's been terrific. And thanks to everyone listening. Tune in next week to hear my colleague Steve Sandusky interview Stanford lecturer Matt Abrams on how to maximize your communication skills. This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more.